Good morning. Uh, today we're going to be beginning uh, a five-week series uh, that is titled I Love My Church. Uh, today I'll be doing an introduction on it and then we'll be covering four topics over the following four weeks. Uh, those topics are love by connecting, love by serving, love by giving and love by sharing. Uh, as we go through those topics we'll be learning some uh, practical ways to nurture and develop how we show love to our church. Today we're going to be looking at why we should love our church. Now uh, COVID-19 has caused a huge amount of disruption to our lives. It came in completely uninvited and it's been annoying ever since. And it has taken things from us. It has taken our jobs. It has taken our freedom. And for many of us it has taken people has taken people we were not ready to say goodbye to. Yet, despite that, there are so many heartwarming stories going around. There are stories of neighbours who are looking out for other, other neighbours who are in self-isolation. There are those people who have become online event organisers, who are organising all sorts of things on Zoom, like church meetings, games, birthdays. Uh, there's even been weddings happening over in America. And this is great stuff. One, one church in Southampton even had a prayer meeting with 84 people that joined. That must have been some wonderful chaos that happened. That there were that many people determined to pray is, is an amazing thing. But not all things have been good during this time. Not all the news stories have been heartwarming. We've seen pictures of people fighting for pasta, fighting for rice fighting for bread and flour in the aisles of our local Asda, Morrison, Sainsbury's and Tesco. And some of these horror stories have been coming from within the church. There was one pastor who, uh, who was in Louisiana uh, who was recently charged with a misdemeanor. What did he do? He refused to move his church online. He refused to stop meeting physically even though mass gatherings were banned in Louisiana. He acted against medical advice and he opened his church anyway. Um, this is what, uh, according to CNN, the Central Police Chief Roger Corcoran said about this pastor. Instead of showing the strength and, our, and the resilience of our community during this difficult time, this pastor has chosen to embarrass us for his own self-promotion. He will have his day in court where he will be held responsible for his reckless and irresponsible decisions that endangered the health of his congregation and our community. The church can be an absolutely wonderful thing. But the church can also let us down. I wonder if you've ever had a thought roughly similar to this going through your head. I love God, but I can't stand the church. You might be a committed Christian, you might follow God, God diligently in your life, you might live a good life, but you might be shocked about how awful the church can sometimes be, and you might be tempted to leave it all behind and to go your own way and to follow God without all the baggage that the church brings with it. 
you might be tempted to follow God without the embarrassment that the church can sometimes be. Now, I get that. And you are not alone in thinking that. And there are many, many reasons why you are right. People often accuse the church of hypocrisy. Uh, they point uh, to a person uh, preaching in the pulpit and they say, how can you preach that? How can you say those things? You are teaching stuff that you don't abide by. You don't stick to the very things that you tell us to do. How can you teach that when you do what is wrong? I can tell you right now that that is something that is true. Because I am a hypocrite. I don't stick to the things that I preach about. Well, sometimes we accuse the church of inaction. Because um, from time to time in our lives we will encounter a crisis. And sometimes there's no hope that comes our way from the church. Sometimes we are missed. Sometimes our asking for help falls upon deaf ears. Now the Chowning community is a wonderful community and it does rally around people in times of need, but sometimes it misses people. All churches do. Sometimes people accuse the church of a lack of love. They can accuse the church of being cruel because when the church does intervene, it can leave people feeling condemned and hurt. Sometimes people walk into church, people who are broken, people who have moral failures in their life. And all, they, all that happens is when they arrive here, they're met with a judgmental gaze. We would be fools to think that we had never done this. And those are just some of the ways that the church fails people. Sometimes we, we say the much quoted phrase, the church is not the building, the church is not the building, the church is the people. Well, theologically speaking, that is an entirely true statement. Unfortunately, the people are the worst part, because the people can be petty, the people can be rude, the people can be unkind and unloving, and that sucks sometimes. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, why don't you turn with me to John 13, uh, verses 31 to 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you will love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, 
Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, just prior to the passage that we have just read, uh, Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, has gone out and he has betrayed Jesus. A betrayal that will end up with Jesus being crucified on the cross. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is leaving. But before he goes, he gives them a new commandment. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now that is a beautiful commandment, but it is also an annoying commandment. And it can seem unreasonable. Let me explain. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says this, and he's telling them to love one another. He's speaking to the people who follow him and saying they should love each other. That means the church. The people in the church, the people who follow God, should love one another. But the church, if you remember correctly, is the thing we've just established as something that messes up all the time. It is the thing that we get annoyed at all the time. And Jesus says we need to love it. So that might seem unreasonable, but it's what God says. And it only seems unreasonable until we have a little bit of time to think about it. And once you think about it for a little bit, you come to the uncomfortable realisation that Jesus is actually right. And in order to do that, we're going to break down this commandment into two separate halves. So uh, Jesus starts off the commandment by saying, just as I have loved you. Now, Jesus' love is not hard to prove. There are examples all over the Bible uh, where you can see examples of how Jesus has loved us. Earlier on in the previous chapter, or sorry, in this chapter earlier on, we have seen that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That was an expression of his love for them. He even washes Judas's feet, who goes on to betray him. He even washes the feet of Peter, who then goes on to deny him three times. Jesus' love is proved in the very first verse that we read out today. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What does that mean? Well, in the Gospel of John, glory is usually associated with suffering and with death. Jesus is being glorified by his suffering because very soon he will die for the sins of his people. He is being glorified because very soon his love will be demonstrated in all its glory in his wondrous self-sacrifice for you and for me. That, in turn, will bring glory to God the Father who has sent his Son on this mission. At the cross, God is glorified as his love is revealed. And who is that love for? It's for people like Peter. People like Peter who, who didn't seem to understand what was going on at all and then denied he even knew who Jesus was. It is for people like me. People who forget God quite often and live a self-centred life. It is for people like you. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how much Jesus has loved us. Uh, the lockdown uh, for COVID-19 began on uh, the 23rd of March. That is four weeks and one day before I'm recording this message. Uh, that is a date that will be ingrained in my mind for quite some time because it is the day uh, where I say goodbye to my nana, when my family say goodbye to my nana. It, it was a strange day because there was no building for us to have a service in. Um, our family gathered around the graveside with just a few friends. Uh, Stuart was there to lead the service. Uh, my friends George and Ben were there to lead us in worship. But it was a lovely time because we got to share stories and memories of my nana. Got to tell about her life to each other. And one of the things really, really stuck with me, and that is what my sister Sarah shared. Uh, and I've asked her permission if I can share that today. And she said it's okay. Um, what my sister did was um, she read from my Nana's diary. These are the words that she read. It's the very first words that my Nana wrote in that diary. I commenced this book on the first day of January 1965. I trust the Lord will use it to show some poor soul after I am gone how a poor lost sinner can be saved by his grace. Now, I'm not sure what your opinion of my Nana is, uh, or was. I can assure you that she was a rebel for her entire life. And part of me thinks she probably still is a bit of a rebel. Um, and I really, really hope she's not causing God any problems in heaven, where she is now. Yet in her younger life, she lived incredibly far from God. She lived a life that didn't take account of him. But she came to know Jesus as an adult, the first in her family to. And she was always vividly aware that she was a sinner that was saved by grace. She knew that God loved her. And her faith helped her. Her faith helped her husband come to know Jesus as well. Her faith helped her daughter to come to know Jesus as well. And uh, most of my family are Christian because of that because of the decision she made and the faith that she showed us. Uh, to be a Christian is to be able to look back at our lives when we're at the end of it, uh, to look back and to see mistakes and to know that we are not worthy of the, God, of the love that God has showed us. But it is to look back and know that God has given us his love anyway and he has used us despite our mistakes. God, Jesus, has loved us. Now that puts the second half of the commandment into a bit of perspective. Jesus says, if you remember correctly, uh, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now that's quite a tall order. Uh, one of the most quoted parts of the Old Testament is the command, uh, love your neighbour as yourself which you can find in Leviticus 19. That seems to me like a nice, reasonable goal. After all, there are many occasions in my life where I don't feel like I love myself that much, uh, which don't, doesn't really bode well for my neighbour either. But at the very least, I don't have to love my neighbour more than I love myself. 
So it seems like there's a bit of a, a get-out clause there. But there is no get-out clause for this commandment. Because Jesus says, we are not to love as we love ourselves, but love as Jesus has loved us. Now we've just seen how much Jesus loved us. While we were still sinners, while we were still in open rebellion against him, he loved us. And while he should have probably condemned us to death, he was the one that died. And he died so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. It is that level of love that we are meant to show for each other. Jesus asks us to love. But you see, I can come up with some pretty good excuses, reasons why uh, I shouldn't love particular people. So I can think back to those issues that we thought about at the beginning. So, for example, I can point to someone and I can say, that person is a hypocrite. God, surely you don't want me to love that person. When they're in the pulpit, they make big moral judgments. And when they're uh, sipping tea at the back of the church, they're judging me the whole time. But they themselves mess up. They, God, are a hypocrite. Surely I don't have to love them. And God, uh, I'm a, he, he, he looks at that person and he says, yes, I see them. They indeed are a hypocrite. I can see they do one thing, but they've said they're going to do another. But so are you. And I love you. And I say, fair enough, God. But how about that, that man over there? That man did absolutely nothing when I needed help. I went to him for help. He didn't help me. He just offered to pray. And even then, I think he probably forgot. Well, God looks that man, that man up and down and says, yes, I remember that man did forget to help you. He did absolutely nothing. But if you remember correctly, there are many times when you have done nothing. Yet I still love you. And I go, okay, okay what about that person over there? They, they lack love. There's not an ounce of compassion in them. And they don't love me. Why should I love them? And God says to me, I know their heart. I know they don't love you. Love you. I know there isn't an ounce of compassion in them. But there are times when that's true of you. And you don't love them any more than they love you. Yet I love you. So I say to God, what about the liars in this world? What about those who um, are full of unjust anger? What about those who love money? What about those who are idiots? What about those who are full of pride? What about those who commit sexual immorality? And I say to God, surely you don't want me to love them. And God says, you were like them. In many ways, you still are. Yet I love you. How can I not love you, church? Though I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Though I was a sinner, Christ loves me. Though I mess up in my life, Christ loves me. There is no charge that I can bring against you guys 
that I cannot bring against myself. Yet Jesus, Jesus loves the lot of us. Sometimes my arguments fail. Jesus asks us to love as he has loved us, and I have no choice. I must do that, and I must say to God, yes, Lord, I will love. Now, this love is one that's meant to change us. It's one that's meant to change our community. It's meant to make us look differently. Verse 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God's people are meant to love so boldly and so differently. They're meant to stand out. And we live in a world that is craving that sort of love. Many out there don't know Christ. They, they don't know what it's like to be loved by him. They don't have that same motivation that I just described to you. That's not to say there's not plenty of love in the world. This crisis has revealed there is loads of love. Parents, for example, love their children. Wives love their husbands. Husbands love their wives. But so often the love that is in the world is an incredibly conditional sort of love. You can love someone incredibly deeply, but when they hurt you, you don't have to anymore. I mean, you can if you want, but the point is your love is yours to give and your love is yours to take away and you are not obligated to love anybody. You can give your love if you want to those who treat you well, but you don't have to. And you can take your love away from those who don't treat you well. It's up to you. And there are loads of examples in our communities of, of this sort of thing happening. Uh, friendships are known to end because one person got invited out on a night out, but someone else didn't and everyone fell out over it. Breakups happen between boyfriends and girlfriends when one person doesn't feel appreciated enough. Marriages have ended because one person finds the other one less beautiful or more boring than they were when they married them, so they trade them in for the newest model. Our world is full of conditional love, and it needs a church that is full of Christ's love. Because Christ's love is one that reconciles. Christ's love is one that gives us no excuse. It is one that calls us to care for the unwanted. It causes us to care for the criminal, the sinner, and for one another. It gives us no right to hold grudges, but every need to seek forgiveness, every need to offer forgiveness and to be reconciled. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were a community that actually lived like that? Actually, you know, I can imagine what that is like because I see something of it in you guys you are a people that is redeemed you are a people that Christ's love has changed and I can testify to your Christianity by your love but don't grow complacent strive forward stand on that commandment stand on the cross and live as a powerful community that loves as Christ has loved us. So how do we actually do that? 
it's all very well me saying that, but how does it actually happen? What do we need to do to make ourselves love this much? Well, the answer isn't just to try really hard, because that's not what Christianity is about. The gospel isn't about how hard we have tried. No. What I would encourage you to do is to reflect on the Father's love. Reflect on how he gave his Son to die for us. And let the Spirit use that reflection to transform you. Because it is impossible to love that way unless we have already been loved that way. So do you want to love as Christ has loved you? Then remember it, reflect on it, meditate on it, listen to it, pray about it. Ask that God might remind you daily and never, ever let that love be far from your memory. Never tire of hearing about it. Are there people in this church right now that you do not love? Why? Take a moment, remember Christ. Remember what he has done for us. And by the power of his spirit, love like him. Are there things about this church that really get in your wick? That's fair enough. That's allowed. In fact, you need to make sure that the church leadership are aware of those things. But before you tell the leadership, take a moment to pray in your heart. Ask God to make his love known to you. Ask him to make it's so that you love the leadership. And that means that when you go to the leaders, you will go with love in your heart. So that the church might be built up by what you were doing and what you were saying. Otherwise, you may very well end up going with spite and bitterness in your heart. And a desire for revenge and justice. And all you will bring about is hurting people and resistance. Finally. I ask you to consider this. Take a good hard look at the church right now. In many ways, Chowdean is a failure. In many ways, it falls far short of what the leaders want, of what you want, and of what I want. It disappoints us. It does things wrong. And it can be an absolute nightmare to get anything done in this place. But boy, does God love Chowdean. And boy, does God love you. For just as Jesus loves you, love his church.